0: This episode is brought to you by Awesome CX by Transcom. Awesome CX provides high-touch, personalized customer experience services to consumer brands of any size. Stay tuned for a special offer for Stairway to CEO listeners later in the show. Hello, everyone it's lee green and welcome back to the stairway to ceo podcast it's my mission to bring you real honest and unfiltered interviews with some of the most innovative founders and ceos from all walks of life we'll talk about their climb to the top their stumbles along the way and the steps they took to get them to where they are so tune in to get inspired listen to some real talk and enjoy the show Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the show. I'm your host, Lee Green, and this is episode 158. Today, I sat down with Ali Egan, the founder and CEO of Veracity. Veracity is a wellness brand getting to the root causes of our skin and health goals, our hormones. Veracity's at-home hormone test, clean skincare products, and supplements offer the tools and information you need to take your health into your own hands by addressing your hormones. Allie shares her story from growing up in a suburb outside of Philadelphia, where her first job was working as a waitress at a retirement home, to attending the University of Virginia and working in investment banking, to earning her MBA from Harvard and working for Estee Lauder, to becoming the CEO of Cynthia Raleigh, where she began experiencing skin issues and infertility, which led her to learning more about hormonal health and imbalances, We talk about micro-journaling, her partnership with Meridian Street Capital, and why she believes you should talk about your ideas early and often. If you like what you're hearing on the Stairway to CEO podcast, don't forget to click subscribe, leave us an awesome review, and check us out on stairwaytoceo.com. Thanks for listening, and I hope you enjoy this episode. Allie, how are you doing today? Thanks so much for being on the show. Oh, thanks for having me. I feel like I haven't seen you since 2018. You know, we were going to a few of the conferences, 2018, 2019, I think, and then the pandemic hit and I haven't seen you since. That's pretty much what happened.
1: (laughs) (laughs) It's like like the story of like us and a million other people. But yeah, it's so
0: nice to to see you again. Pandemic happens, have some kids, start a company, boom, here, now we're here. Yeah, just par for the course. (laughs) So I'd love to hear, you know, start your story from the very beginning. I can't wait to hear how you built Veracity, but I want to learn more about you and your childhood and how you grew up. So if you could walk us back to early, early days, you know, where were you born? Where are you from? What was childhood like? What did your parents do? If you could kind of paint that picture for us, that'd be great.
1: Yeah, I'm from suburban Philadelphia, big Eagles, Phillies fan.
0: My We're where in the suburbs of Philly. I'm from Delaware, so I'm very familiar with the very aggressive Eagle fans.
1: <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, the, you can't not be uh, right. I'm from a town called Plymouth Meeting, yes. if you're familiar with that. That's... I am.
0: Is that considered the main line of Pennsylvania, or is that kind of on the outsides of that?
1: We're kind of off the main line, but close by the main line.
0: Interesting. I have some family over there, so that's why I'm familiar with that area. Yeah.
1: Well, yeah. So pretty normal slash humble upbringing. Both my parents worked for the government. They actually worked for the Social Security Administration. They worked in the city and, and had a big commute, both my mom and my dad, for my entire upbringing, which I do credit to like seeing them work so hard as part of instilling my work ethic as well. But yeah, just kind of normal, played a bunch of sports, tried a bunch of different things. I think it was a different era where now having kids as, as yourself, like you think that they're probably gonna have an internship at like age seven. But you know, I was doing all the normal kid things like basketball camp and sleepaway
0: camp and those kind of things. Interesting. And what about siblings? Did you have any siblings growing up? I have an older sister. She's four years older than me. So
1: we we're kind of on totally different timelines at the time, you know, because four years when when you're little is obviously like a huge difference. But yeah. now we've become closer like as being adults.
0: Absolutely. And so what kind of sports did you play and what kind of things were you into? Like if you could j- describe what kind of kid you were, what would you say?
1: I have always had a lot of interest and I love exploring different things. The first job I wanted to have, I actually wanted to be a professional figure skater. I remember what, watching Christy Yamaguchi, if, you, if that brings a bell to anyone. And so I would begged my mother to let me sign up for ice skating lessons. Which I got like decent at, but I'm almost 5'10 and don't necessarily have the best natural balance. So that was not really going to be like the key to success for me.
0: Yeah. That's so funny. It sounds like, (laughs) it sounds like me doing ballet. It's like, just, it wasn't oh, cut totally. out for it, you know, like love the idea of it, but just so horrible at it. But the figure skater thing, yeah. I remember that was so popular. Wasn't there a woman that was a very popular figure skater that maybe had short hair? Cause I remember I cut my hair very short when I was like 10 because of a figure skater.
1: Probably. But there was that whole Nancy <laughs> Kerrigan thing yes. where she got like hit with a pipe and like, you yeah, know, it was pretty, it was like front page news at the time. Now it's like less, but that was my first dream. Got, got a little crushed. And then I like found my more home and really like endurance based sports. So I was a big soccer player. I played field hockey. I played basketball and continued those through almost to college, but then really had a sort of come to Jesus moment where I could have gone to a really good, strong academic school where, you know, I went to university of Virginia or like a D3 kind of school and play soccer. And so at that point, I had to say, it's probably time to like move on and and just focus on the
0: academic side. And what were some of the first jobs that you had, like as a kid, or did you do the lemonade stand? Was there any kind of entrepreneurial signs looking back that you had as a kid?
1: Yeah, I wanted to work. I wanted to make my own money. I wanted to have that independence. I think that that was something that from very early on, I wanted to, even when I could get my driver's license, the first day I could go get it, I was like out the door getting it. I do remember setting up like we lived on a corner and I would set up occasionally like little stand and sell things. So not necessarily lemonade, but I remember having a bookstore that I set up and some other kind of like random food things, not lemonade. And, you know, so maybe that was like the inklings of something entrepreneurial, but really it was just about wanting to make money and sort of fend for myself. So my very first job actually was as a waitress at a retirement home where, because retirement homes where people are served three meals a day, super sexy. And I, I worked there for a couple of years. It, It was a pretty thankless job because you had, well, you have some of the nicest, sweetest old people in the entire world who build a relationship with you. And then also some of the meanest people who, you know, you take their order, you come back, you bring their food and they are absolutely confident that that is not what they ordered and like start a fight with you. But it taught (laughs) me a lot for sure.
0: I feel you. I was a waitress at this restaurant called like Crossroads. I think it was, it's like a diner type of place. And they had a senior citizen menu and there was like a seniors section of the restaurant. And yeah, there was always that mixed bag of personalities where you have either like the super grumpy, unhappy person or like the really happy, nice people that want to talk your ear off. (laughs)
1: Yep. Yep. That is probably good training for entrepreneurship where it's like the highs and lows, like all into
0: one evening. (laughs) And being a waitress most of the time is pretty fast paced and you're doing a bunch of different things. So yeah, that's interesting. Looking back at your childhood, is there any time of a moment of challenge where you saw yourself being resilient really early on? Yeah. So I actually had a... Sort of
1: medical scare when I was fourteen years old. It was at a time where my grandfather had just passed away, and my grandmother came to live with us. I had had strep throat or, or some kind of normal illness, and I saw my family physician, who unrelated looked at me and said, "Wow, well, you're rather like tall and thin, and and maybe you might have this weird disease." <laughs> and it like kind of is out of nowhere, so. I ended up going through pretty intense like screening on a bunch of different things for my heart with a geneticist with a physical therapist and it was really scary. I first was told I may have this condition that the average life expectancy is only 35 years old and so that was really really terrifying. I was actually in the middle of basketball season. They made me like stop playing basketball. Long story short, went through all these medical appointments they kept coming up as not really finding anything except for my the first one that I had, which was with the cardiologist. So we ended up getting a second opinion on the cardiologist side at the Children's Hospital Philadelphia, they found nothing. And so we're like, No, I think this was just all a scare. And so then it kind of went away. Yeah. And I think it taught me, well, A, it taught me that life is precious, um, as we all learn that lesson sometime or another. But like having had from at 14 years old thinking you might only live to 35, like just kind of gives you that new perspective. But then it also really gave me that firsthand experience that I think so many people have had with their health, where it's scary and it's not empowering. And for myself, I remember I was supposed to go get checked every year afterwards, just as a precaution and the first time i got the voicemail from the doctor this is how old i am it was like literally on our family's like physical voicemail machine right. i like remember like kind of intercepting that voicemail and deleting it so that i wouldn't have to go back to the doctor cuz i was so scared but that experience has i think taught me how so many people think about their health where instead of being proactive and being like what can be going on in my body how can i make it better How am I thinking about optimal health? It's this like clouded in fear where people would rather not know. Mm -hmm. And I think that's helped with our experience in veracity and really how we build the brand, how we help people talk about hormonal health, how we get them excited about hormonal health, because it's not all this scary doom and gloom kind of thing. But yeah, that was definitely like a very character shaping experience pretty early on.
0: Wow. Yeah, that sounds really scary. And did your parents ever find out that you deleted the voicemail message that you got? You
1: know, I don't, I don't think so. I like <laughs> kept some things pretty close to the chest. That and like the low key parties I had in high school in my house while my parents were upstairs asleep. Unless they listen to this podcast, I don't think they know. <laughs> really,
0: you had it in the house? How did you get away with that? They're like sleeping, and you had friends over. That my was parents hard. were
1: very trustworthy. I mean, I was like a straight A student. Why, why would they expect otherwise? Oh. <laughs>
0: Exactly. That's funny, amazing. And so, going back to University of Virginia, what did you study, and what was your first job out of college?
1: Well, I went into college thinking I was going to be either a senator or a geneticist. Like after having gone through this experience, I obviously am neither. So, at the University of Virginia, I majored in undergraduate business school with a concentration in finance, and then double majored in foreign affairs. And then after Graduation. I think I got onto that normal. I have no idea what I actually want to do with my life train. A bunch of my classmates had this culture and mentality of, if you're good, you'll do investment banking. So I was like, guess I'll do investment banking. And that was what I did my internship in. So that was the first time I really spent any time in New York City and had my internship at Bear Stearns, which if you may or may not remember, doesn't exist anymore. So I had done my summer internship there, got a full-time offer and accepted that, went through my entire last year of college thinking, you know, I got this thing set up, I got a signing bonus, all that kind of good stuff. And then in March, 2008, the financial system started to collapse. Bear Stearns went under, was sold to JP Morgan. First, they called me and told me that I would have a job with them. They called back a week later saying that they weren't giving any jobs. So there I was having gone through an entire, almost an entire school year thinking I was that and I was about to graduate and all of a sudden I didn't have a job again. So was, that was like scramble mode for me.
0: Yeah. Yikes. That's a tough time. Job market's a little tough in that, in that era. And so I know that you became an associate at Catterton doing some investments in high growth consumer businesses. Can you talk about how you got that role? Yeah. So I was, I feel really lucky. So I
1: spent several years in investment banking doing as a generalist. So I was doing insurance deals and, you know, really not sexy stuff. And then in investment banking, they have a lot like kind of a standardized recruiting process where investment firms with hedge funds or private equity funds will want to interview people. And so I went through that process like everyone else. Cause I was on that sort of train of like, oh, if this is the next best thing to do where I don't even have to, like, I never wanted to close doors at that time, you know, and by doing the thing that, well, you, after this, you can go and do anything. It felt very attractive to me through that experience. I feel really fortunate that I ended up getting interviews at Catterton Partners, which is now L Catterton, which is hundred percent exclusively focused on consumer retail. So I I didn't know if I'd love investing, but what I ended up really loving is sort of the consumer retail world. So I spent almost three years there working across their growth portfolio. So this was super high growth businesses where we were oftentimes working directly with founders who were building and scaling their companies, some beauty companies, some restaurants, consumer health, consumer tech, like really got a wide purview there. But it was through my time there, one of Catterton's largest and at the time their greatest return, one of their investments was Restoration Hardware, which we all know that brand today is this big, beautiful store, is that like super thick catalog that you actually want to look through because it's the home you've always coveted. Yeah. But it it wasn't like that when Catterton invested. It was kind of like a kitschy mall store. Where they sold literally hardware pieces, like you know, a number that you'd put on your mailbox or something, and Catterton invested, and then they helped recruit this CEO Gary Friedman and this amazing COO who created now what is Restoration Hardware. And so I remember being at one of our investor meetings where they were telling about the story and and sort of talking about what they did to create this business, and all I kept thinking about was. The money enabled that. And that's an important, really important thing. But it was actually like this guy, Gary Freeman, who had this idea that was super innovative. He totally changed the branding, the supply chain, where he started working with these different creators across the globe and like brought that to life. And that's what like really got my juices flowing where I was like, I think I need to be at a company and like actually building something.
0: Interesting. That was almost, it sounds like, was that your first exposure to entrepreneurship in a way? Was that like the first entrepreneur you kind of met and heard their story and it just ignited that that fire? Not
1: the first because there was a lot of other companies I've worked with at Catterton, but that was definitely one of the key memorable ones.
0: Interesting. And so... Did that kind of shift things for you where you were like, okay, I know I'm on this side of the table with the investors, but I think it could be really fun to be on that side of the table as a founder.
1: It shifted things a lot. And it helped me build a practice of true self-reflection too. Because I think I had, like a lot of folks, been on this path of this is the paved path, like keep going that way. And my, you know, I loved my bosses. I thought they were cool jobs. I liked what I was doing. But I really start to soul search and think about what could I be uniquely good at? And what could I bring to the table? Like, could I be a great private equity partner? Sure, I'm sure I could be a fine private equity partner, but what could I be like truly, truly great in? And I knew from my experience growing up, I always loved every subject in school. Like I was never like only a math person or only a science person. And part of what you're doing in building a company is kind of being the conductor of all of these things, whether it's ideas, expertise, products, people. And I was like, I I think that's really exciting.
0: Interesting. Right. So you kind of realized, I mean, it sounds like you were good at all of it because you got such good grades. (laughs) But because I was going to say generalist, but generalists in my view, normally for at least for myself, like, I don't think I'm that great at most things, but generally speaking, I know enough to be dangerous in many things. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Yeah. So you, yeah. Know, at least in like my seat, I'm like, I never feel like I'm good at anything because I'm not good enough in one thing. But it sounds like you had such good grades. You're like <laughs> good at it
1: all. <laughs> But that's also the confusing thing. Like I told you, I wanted to be a geneticist or a senator. Like, you know, I always had that sort of tension of I don't want to choose because the things that I like are so different. Right, right. Yeah, that's tough.
0: It's tough to be good at so many things, isn't it? No, I'm just kidding. Oh, yeah, yeah. So then, what did you do after that? I mean, so you have this awesome job. You know that the path is probably going into private equity, I guess, or partner, or just working your way up that ladder on the investment side. What did you decide to do after your three years at Catterton?
1: Yeah, so I mean, I I didn't take the totally risky bet then, but I went to business school. I went to Harvard Business School because I wanted to use that as an opportunity to sort of reset and try things. And and in my mind, like, worst case scenario an investment firm would want you to have an MBA anyway. But I really wanted to push myself and and rebrand myself because I saw saw a lot of my colleagues who left investing to go to the company side, the brand side, but they were always in like finance or strategy roles. And I didn't want to do that. If I was going to go to a company, I wanted to be like where the real driver of the company was. So in marketing, in general management, Building to actually, like, how do you be the CEO? And that's not just by doing business development most of the time, it's by actually knowing how all the pieces of the company come together. So when I got to HBS, I was like, all right, here's my time to try to network and just try as many different things as possible. So I ended up working for a bunch of cool companies for free. Like literally, I will do stuff for you and you pay me $0. And that was great because it, A, added to my resume, but then also helped to give me clarity on where I could really fit well. So I worked with Glossier in 2014 when they were first getting started and starting to take off. I worked with Pure Bar, the bar studio that now has thousands of locations. Uh, I worked with Alice and Olivia, the fashion brand, helping them launch their paid social advertising. So it really just started to kind of amass experiences. And through those, it actually gave me the confidence to step away from this really on paper, perfect, high paying job and take a risk and and really bet on myself by moving to the brand side.
0: That's awesome. And so what were some of the things that you learned up until now that maybe you didn't know about being an entrepreneur that you're glad that you learned through that process?
1: Wow, that's a big question. I think if you knew everything you were gonna learn, you probably might make different decisions. One story I love to tell is we have lab partners that we work with because we have this at-home hormone test and we use FDA certified, CLIA certified labs that actually run those hormone tests. And I was really fortunate to be introduced to the founder of one of our labs very early on and and feel really grateful because he took a risk on me. Here was a company that was literally nothing and He started letting us do the testing at much better rates. And and we've grown into that relationship. But one of the things he told me was, when you start your own business, you think you're going to be your own boss. And he's like, but it turns out that everyone is your boss. And that's like, definitely something I feel where you're so responsible to all of your employees, contractors, investors, partners on the supply chain side, on the manufacturing side, just all of these different pieces. Now you're responsible to them. And that's something I take very seriously. And by being responsible to people in your job as like a CEO and leader is really to show up for that and showing up with both vision and leadership, but also just attitude and resilience and all the things that you want to see in the people that you work with
0: every day. And now we're going to take a quick break to hear a word from our sponsors. Customer service and call centers are rarely topics that people get excited about. But Awesome CX is simply different. Their inclusive culture rooted in wellness and fun means that their teams are encouraged to be their best selves personally and professionally by providing them with everything from mental health and healthcare resources to career development. And regardless of the size of your business, Awesome CX is uniquely positioned to support you throughout your growth. They work with some of the fastest growing startups like FabFitFun, Carbon38, Lettuce Grow, Mudwater, and so many more. Want to see it to believe it? Just email me directly at Lee, L-E-E, at stairwaytoseo.com to request to join one of their coffee chats where you can meet with their amazing team and witness the agent engagement yourself. You will be so impressed. I can't wait for you to learn more about Awesome CX to make your brand's customer experience awesome. Thank you so much to our incredible sponsors for supporting the Stairway to CEO podcast. Now let's get back to the show. That's awesome. And I know that we met when you were CEO of Cynthia Raleigh, and then you were at SD Lauder before that. I guess if there's anything that you want to share about your experience from SD Lauder and then your time at Cynthia Raleigh. I'm excited to hear what happened, obviously, because I knew you when you were CEO yeah. at Cynthia Raleigh. I'm like, what happened between that and where you are now? I'm excited to hear how everything got off the ground and Meridian Street Capital, how they were involved in all these things. So maybe if you can help provide a quick little background on... Walk um, it, walk it yeah. back a little bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: No, so when I was leaving HBS, I was looking at, honestly, a lot of like smaller companies, but then I got this opportunity with Estee Lauder, And I said I myself, like, I either wanted to do beauty, health, and wellness, or fashion. And it just felt like too good of an opportunity to learn from the best of the best and the best brands in the whole world to give up. So I was really fortunate there. I got to actually work across 3 different brands when I was there. La Mer, Clinique, and Origins really taught me best practices, thinking about how you build a big global business. And it was a really big changing time for the industry at that point. The industry had been built on like traditional wholesale, where the main skills of a brand or executive were having a great relationship with Macy's or SAC or whatever, because they were going to help you drive all of your sales and revenue. And that was like totally turned up on its head with the rise in not just direct to consumer e-commerce, but just the digital marketing and influencer marketing starting and that whole game changing. And I thought that was really cool because it was was like kind of a crossroads for Estee Lauder where they started to really rely on younger talent who had expertise and experiences that their senior executives with 30 year relationships with Macy's like didn't have. And so Learn a lot there, but coming from a background of professional services, where there's a very clear path to promotion and what the next step is, I did find it challenging where I was okay with that ambiguity. But what I observed at a large company like that was it sometimes felt like you were waiting for the person above you to like go out on that leave and never come back. And that just like, wasn't really inspirational to me when things move slow. When I left Estee Lauder, two years later, I saw some of the work that I was doing come like actually hit the market. So like, it just was not really like attuned to my personality as much. And I got a call from a headhunter about a opportunity in apparel, which, you know, I kind of thought was interesting. And it turns out it was Cynthia Rowley. So this designer that I had adored, for years, everyone's heard of. She was looking to bring someone on who could help her actually create a direct consumer omni-channel business, kind of relaunch her brand from this sort of cutesy perspective to a real, powerful, enduring sort of modern age of what she's built. And we just hit it off, and so I was really fortunate to be able to come in first as president, and then promote it to CEO, and help her revive and and build that business to what it could be through launching e-commerce through launching our own stores we ended up launching i think we had the most stores we had at one point was 12 and then through reviving and refiguring her wholesale and licensing business so that it could actually be a profitable business which a lot of times it wasn't for apparel brand so I was in my dream job and actually at HBS, I had written to myself, like they they make you do this exercise where like, where do you see yourself in five years, you know, seal it up in an envelope and then look at it later. And I was living what that I had written down. So I had no intention of leaving, but I ended up going through some personal health stuff that really gave me the idea and conviction for veracity. So if you want, I'll share that quickly. But starting when I was in business school, I had broken out into this dry eczema skin on my face, which was very alarming. And I ended up seeing a traditional conventional dermatologist who looked at me and said, oh, it's just something irritating your skin. It's going to resolve itself like no need to worry. It didn't go away or like it would go away and then it would come back and go away and come back. And I dealt with this for years. And then... Separately, when I started my job at Cynthia Raleigh a few months in, my husband and I had already been together for years. We were finally like, okay, if we're gonna do this family thing, we should we should get on it, right? I was in my young thirties and ended up not having success, like going through almost a three year infertility battle. I had miscarriages, like topic pregnancy, like a lot of stuff. And through that process, trying to get pregnant, found myself in an infertility clinic getting my hormones tested. Well, when I finally got my hormones tested, I learned that I had this imbalance that was driving my infertility and also the root cause of this skin problem. Literally on the published medical literature, it's like common signs is this dry, flaky skin. And that was just sort of like the first frustration moment, but then beginning of my aha moment where it was like, here I was someone who had worked in skincare, was seeing a doctor and not only did I not have the tools to like solve my aesthetic issue, but I also didn't have this like really really important information about my underlying health, which put me into like one of the worst places I've ever been personally and professionally during that time of going through infertility thinking will I get to be a mother? And that was the seeds of wow, I think you could do something different. I think you could create a brand and a platform that's really about health and by by being, you can look better, feel better, and know what's going on in your body. And that's the basis for, for Veracity. And that just inspiration gave me, having known that there was both a business opportunity and a very strong personal mission alignment, I was like, well, if I ever was going to do something, this is the thing. And that's kind of what encouraged me to take the leap and, and leave my dream job at Cynthia Rally and, and start Veracity.
0: Yeah, and so when you did this hormone test, did they give you supplements or something? And I'm curious why skincare versus supplement brand or like you know something that maybe helps. Do, I don't know any anything about that. But I'm oh, curious. we have like-
1: supplements. We have supplements too. We have, so we we have sort of a 360 approach to hormonal wellness, where you can both know, treat, and rebalance your hormones through an at-home hormone test, through skincare that's effective but 100% hormone clean and then supplementation that helps you rebalance. But no, for me personally, like so many other people, you're given some diagnosis and then you're like set on your merry way. They don't tell you anything about your body. They don't tell you anything about what to do about it. And so we, like, even after I got the diagnosis, we still were going through infertility I had. Then we were going through our IVF. I had multiple mistransfers. And it was only through like actually doing the research myself and learning, oh, wow, I have this inflammatory response to my, this hormonal imbalance. What are some things I can do? So like for me, removing gluten from my diet, is, I think made a huge difference. I actually, like since knowing my imbalance, I now, like I said, now I have two kids. I've never had this skin problem and I'm not even on, I have a thyroid issue. I'm not even on thyroid medication. So it's really, really powerful what you can do if you sort of just know what you're dealing with.
0: So walk us through the health tests that you have and the different supplements, because I think I have these two amazing products here that are just... you know, These are a serum and a moisturizer. But I feel like you've added so many things to your website, I feel like was updated from the, from the last time I received <laughs> these things and from the last time we talked. So I'm wondering, A, I want to just say, I feel like you guys by far, win Best Packaging Award. Like, you have the oh, most you. beautiful package color scheme and branding of any skincare brand I've ever seen, to be honest. Yeah. It's oh, gorgeous. Thanks. The green color is gorgeous. The gold is gorgeous. I mean, it's just like so well done and feels looks so luxurious. So beyond that, let's get us caught up to speed on what you guys offer in terms of the test and the supplements and all of the different products you have?
1: Yeah. Well, first I want to say I founded the company and the first thing I did was build our medical team and it's really bringing this integrated health approach to beauty. So it's not just the dermatologist, although we have an amazing dermatologist from Mount Sinai, but it's also an endocrinologist, an OBGYN, a functional medicine doctor, a nutritionist, because What the problem is, is like our medical system is all just trying to fight little fires, right? You go to this doctor for acne, you go to this other thing, and like nothing is actually getting to the root cause. And like, I wanted to build a brand and a platform that was going to help you know and treat your root cause, but also not undermine your health. And that's really what we do at Veracity. So yeah, we created this at-home hormone test where you can actually know what is happening to your hormones. It's a really easy saliva test, you just spit in a tube and you mail it back and you get to know what's happening with your cortisol. Like how is stress actually affecting your body, your estrogen, your progesterone, your testosterone, your DHEA. These are the things that are number one cause of skin issues, hair issues, sleep issues, overall health issues. People don't know how to define us because we're like a beauty brand, but then we're also like a digital health brand. But I think that's the future it creates a lot of objectivity for people and also a lot of trust and clarity, being able to see like, oh, this is what's actually going on in my body. And now this is what I can do about it. And then there are so many hormonal health issues And I, I love partnering with brands and platforms like, you know, a Parsley Health or Alloy Women's Health or EverNow or those kind of things that are providing one-to-one medical care. So what I wanted to build was how can we make something where it's helping people deal with the problems they're trying to solve every day, like your skin issues and your hair and all those other sort of things that you actually like notice changes and take action on. And so we're really proud of being the first step in your hormonal health journey and helping you get better results, but then also have that window into what's going on underneath. And so that's kind of the reason why aesthetics or my skin, but then, you know, supporting that through what do I actually do about it with my diet, my sleep, my stress management and like what supplements can I be taking that are drug free and not just actually covering up symptoms. Like what we found so many women go through is they have maybe like acne and painful periods and right away, their only thing is getting put on birth control or maybe they're, in early menopause. And so right away, they just get put on hormone replacement therapy. And with our supplements, we're really proud because everything is therapeutic grade. They're the same quality of what a functional medicine doctor would prescribe you, but drug-free. So you could really start and support your body's natural nutrients and balance.
0: It's really interesting that hormones play such a big role in our skincare health. I mean, I had no idea. It makes so much sense, but it's like, how do you know, I guess, unless you take a test and you're like, oh, wow, that's what's causing it. I mean, all these issues that you're mentioning, I'm like, huh, got me thinking now, maybe I need to do a hormone test or, you know, or a friend that suffers and has the same issue is always told to go on birth control to help her skin. It's like, wait a minute. Why is that always the answer, you know?
1: Because it's all hormonal. Right. Like it's cool because our science has started to show that too. So we have all this big database now and we can start to like prove it to people. So our data so far shows that 83% of your aesthetic issues, whether that's dry skin or acne or hair loss are driven by hormones. The other factors in that are things like age. So that's like inevitable as well. Yeah, it's really cool. And like, that's a journey we're on as a brand and company is really educating people. But I think so many women know that some hormones relate, but like, we just have been so underserved and being given those tools to even understand our own bodies, right? Like even in sex ed, you're told about sex and tampons, but you're not told about how your hormones change throughout your menstrual cycle, which is like the single most important information about yourself and like how you can sort of like feel good every day. And no one even tells us about that.
0: Right. (laughs) That's so true. Wow. 83%. That's such a big number. That's really interesting. So I mean, this is so cool that you've done this. And you've only been at it. When did you guys launch? It's only been a few years. Can you kind of talk about how you got this business off the ground? You know, I know that you were a venture partner in EIR at Meridian Street Capital, where they involved at all in helping this get off the ground? You know, it's really hard to go out there and try to start a skincare brand. So where did you go? How did it happen?
1: Yeah. So this is a great question. I love talking about this. So I think one piece of advice I always like to give to entrepreneurs or potentially aspiring entrepreneurs is to try to talk about your ideas early and often, even when they're not perfectly formed. So the way that I got the encouragement to take that leap was I went to a dinner party with a friend who's the founder of Meridian Street Capital and was sort of just sharing this very underbaked idea of doing some testing, connecting that to how it can help with beauty and beyond. And I'm very grateful that he was like, that's a good idea. Let's come and workshop it. And so just sort of talk through whiteboarded some things, those kind of, important sort of fundamentals when you're first getting started. And then he offered to basically write the first check into the business. and that's what definitely gave me the inspiration to leave Cynthia Rally and, and also offered me this you know amazing opportunity to be a venture partner in case you know in case we decided it wasn't a great idea. I was kind of helping a little bit on their general fund, giving the sort of marketing consumer side of of the healthcare world that they were doing in a lot of their other companies. But, to be honest, I spent almost zero time on the fund and and most of the time on veracity because the idea really started to take off. So, for about a year and a half or so, we were in a r and d phase where we developed our tests, we developed our products. And then we've been a real business, as I like to say, for just under two years now.
0: and so how have the last kind of two years since being in the market gone? How did you prepare for launch and how has fundraising been going and building the team? And This is really, it sounds like your first time in the founder trenches. So I'm excited to hear your perspective two years in.
1: Well, I think I've lived through the extremes of everything so far yeah. when we raised. Well, first of all, I raised my first sort of pre-seed round of capital. We closed the day before my son was born, my first kid. So that was a little bit crazy, raised in this pandemic, very pregnant, and then started a company with like a newborn and again, in the height of a pandemic. Yeah. Then we were lucky enough to raise our seed round during more of the height of the market when things were a lot frothier, I guess, at that point. And look, raising capital is always hard. Like it is such a slog. I listened to the founder of Coinbase who had a really great saying where a successful fundraise is 9 out of 10 people telling you no. And that's in really good times. So of course, went through that experience. But in our seed round, we raised $5 bucks, So had a really healthy starting point from there. And I'm really grateful because we have some really great investors and with really various backgrounds across health and e-commerce and data and traditional consumer. And that's really Helped us sort of triangulate and create this mix of sort of industries and, and businesses. But yeah, it's been funny. Like you, and then I went through another bank crisis with SVB failing. So, I, <laughs> you know, you, you never know what you're getting yourself into is mm-hmm. basically what I've learned about entrepreneurship. Another fun analogy I like to use is being an entrepreneur is like every day, either getting an acceptance or a rejection letter from like your favorite college, but getting both accepted and rejected multiple times a day, every single day. Yeah. So dealing with that elation down to like the dumps is sort of like something that's become a norm.
0: When has been the most challenging moment? Like, was there ever a moment past two, three years where you're like, I just don't know if this is even going to work or, oh, my gosh, things have really hit the fan. How am I going to get myself out of this situation? Or when did things get so, so tough that you had to really, I guess, pump that resiliency muscle?
1: (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I think the most easy example that's really relevant is when the SBB, we had all of our money at SBB and SBB failed as everyone knows. And that was really, really scary because it's like, here's all this stuff that I've worked my freaking butt off. Like I have like abandoned my family. It feels like sometimes yeah, to raise money, to grow the company. And then it felt like in an instant and something, some risk management play that I should not even be responsible for, it could be taken away. So that was really challenging and just sort of makes you always come back to like, what is really important in my life, if it is all somehow taken away. But then miraculously, obviously, with the government stepping in, it's it's almost like a bizarro world where it was like, you're in this, the worst place you've ever been. And then often it's like, didn't even happen. So, right.
0: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's a very, very bipolar <laughs> situation. It was like, the world is still like crumbling. Oh, wait, we just got saved by the government again. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, just kidding. Yeah. (laughs) Right. Just kidding. Uh, Too big to fail. I don't know. Yeah. That was a wild few days. I think I remember when it all started and everybody was freaking out and investors were messaging who's, you know, just trying to figure out who's been exposed in the portfolio. And oh my gosh, what a crazy time. Well, I'm glad that, you know, everything kind of recovered from there. And what can we see now, you know, moving forward, what's the grand vision for the business? What can we see maybe coming out this year? what's next
1: yeah so we're really excited cuz i think people are demanding true science backed wellness as a part of their life and their beauty routine and i we really see that helping to grow the business the awareness of hormonal health has skyrocketed like in the last year the searches for hormonal imbalance have increased 4x this language is becoming and people are talking more about these things like infertility and postpartum and menopause. And this is what we do. We help people through these moments and help them prevent these low lows as well. So I'm really excited about being on the forefront of this conversation and being able to continue to lead it forward. But then we're also relaunching our test where we'd started with very much a skin focus and learned that people also wanted to know about their hair and their mood and their cycle and all these other things that come from hormonal health. So we're relaunching our hormone test in the beginning of May. It will now be called a hormone wellness test. We'll have new content and features. You can book an appointment with a registered dietitian to get a detailed personalized diet plan afterwards. And like, this is something we'll continue to be investing in and, and evolving and really listening to and serving the needs of our customers.
0: And is the hormone test the new one? Is it still just saliva? It's still just saliva. Yeah, that that's what awesome. like people.
1: It's just it's easy for people. It's not you know yeah. pricking your finger and like it's just that's a lot. It is a lot. Let me just it's tell really you, nice I still. To be able to, yeah. Yeah,
0: I have like a test that's been sitting on my desk for months because it involves yeah. me doing a stool sample, a prick on my finger. And it's like, Jesus, this is like not fun. I don't want to do this actually. And yeah, it's not fun. Well, because then you
1: only wait till like something is really wrong and you're like, oh, well now I guess I'll do this test. Right. It's like, it's maybe weird to like spin it to, but then you just, that's all you. I I mean, mean, that's super easy. I would do that
0: all day, every day over pricking my finger. Like I don't want to prick my finger. (laughs) Well, we'll send you a test (laughs) so you can try it too. (laughs) I would love that because I'm actually very curious. (laughs) to see what's going on. You know, I feel like you always feel like, oh, everything's fine, but you never know unless you do the test and then who knows what can pop up.
1: The amazing thing about hormonal health too is you can change them. It's not a death sentence. Like hormones can be changed in as little as 28 days, but like you can really see significant progress in rebalancing in like 90 days. So I think it's like something you should want to get ahead of because you can make change and you see better your skin will be more vibrant, less dry, like less acne, your hair is going to be better, you're going to have better mood, energy, like all these things that like we just constantly gripe about, you can make progress to that.
0: That's awesome. Well, I'm excited to check it out. Lastly, before we wrap up, I know you already mentioned quite a few great pieces of advice for aspiring entrepreneurs. But I guess for those that are in the trenches now, I know fundraising is a really tough time for a lot of entrepreneurs. They're struggling. They're like, it's not a good market right now to fundraise. But even beyond fundraising, just being in the trenches in general, and even as a solo founder, which you are, what advice do you have for those entrepreneurs that are going at it, riding the roller coaster every day?
1: Yeah, developing some ways of checking in with yourself and really, as I said, everyone. Your boss, and and you feel like that, especially if you're a mother. My kids are basically my boss here. I'm sure your <laughs> son's your boss. Yeah. And so, being able to, like, whatever your practice is, and for me, I've started this thing I call like micro journaling, and it's not about like, oh, I have to do this every single day and I have to write this many pages. It's just, it's sort of like a meditative form of journaling where you just don't have any premeditated things. You can write half a page, a page you can go on. And I think that. Helps me stay grounded. Like it helps me realize what is bubbling underneath. But then the other big thing is just building your community. And I have an amazing network of other female founders who, and male founders who are doing the same things. And sometimes just being able to send a text or hop on a call or grab a drink and just gripe in the issues and be like, how is it fair that investors have gone from growth at all costs to profitability within one year of being a business like what do they know like and being able to just kind of hash that out together and 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 have that community has been really
0: important to me absolutely it's so important to have especially as a again solo founder I remember building Wearaway when we first met and it was like oh my gosh yeah. like the having founder I mean, friends <laughs> yeah yeah I've definitely been through it and having founder friends that understand that you can bounce ideas off of or just commiserate on a
1: lot of but someone with like no judgment too, right? Like you're constantly judged by all these things. And like I think it's really nice to have something where you can just sort of let loose
0: 100 <laughs> percent. i mean in every conversation as a business owner you're mostly trying to impress everybody you talk to whether you're talking totally. to press you're constantly you're selling to, right yeah like, you're constantly exhausting. selling the dream <laughs> it's exhausting it's never perfect it's actually a shit show and so you need someone to talk to about the shit show part not the everything's yeah. great all the time sunny rainbows because that's not true but Ali, it was awesome catching up with you. Thank you so much for sharing your awesome story and building veracity. I'm so excited for you and congrats on all of your progress. And thanks so much for being on the show.
1: Well, thank you. And it's so fun to reconnect.